Praised be Jesus Christ, now and forever. I'm Matthew Knight, and this is In Your Embrace Daily. Friends, over the past two weeks, we've been seeing the animosity against Jesus rising to higher and higher degrees. As he continues to do miraculous works and to reveal more and more unequivocally, more and more clearly, his divine identity and his mission as Messiah and Savior. So also do the Jews, particularly the high priests, well, the high priest and the priests and scribes and the Pharisees, all this faction continue to oppose him more and more bitterly. They become more and more entrenched in their hatred of him and in their desire to see him put to death. At least twice we've seen them take up stones to throw at him. We've seen them try to arrest him. Now in today's Gospel reading, which follows immediately after Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus, although in our liturgical calendar these readings get broken up a little bit and we hear them sort of out of order. Nevertheless, in St. John's Gospel, today's reading immediately follows the resurrection of Lazarus. So the high priest and his associates in the priesthood and the scribes, they've heard about what Jesus has done. This greatest of all of his signs so far, raising a man from the dead, and not just newly dead, like the widow's son at Nain, but a man who was dead four days. He was in the tomb four days. He had begun to stink, as Martha said about him. And Jesus raised him to new life. So the Jews are panicking. They gather together in this council of evil, to determine what to do about Jesus. And they're fretting together as they say, if we let this man go on like this, soon all the people will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our people and our land. See, their fear was that all the people would come to believe Jesus was the Messiah in a specific sense. The Jewish people, many of them, were waiting for a Messiah who would be a kind of a warrior king a new King David who would come and unite the scattered and factious Israelites to lead them in an uprising against their oppressors, at this time the Romans, to rebel against the Romans, to reclaim the promised land, to be their own masters again, to set up again an undivided kingdom as in the days of Solomon, which should be the jewel among all the kingdoms of the earth. And so these religious leaders of the Jews are afraid for what the people might do if they believe that Jesus was such a Messiah, that he might lead an, an uprising, an armed insurgency, and the Romans would come. The Romans were famously intolerant of rebellion and dissent. The Romans would come with their legions and their armies, destroy Jerusalem, lead the people into slavery, take over the land. So the Jews are acting here in their own self-interest. St. Augustine says in today's lesson at the Office of Matins in the Roman Breviary that they were more concerned with temporal things than spiritual goods, and so thereby they lost both. Because after all, as we've alluded to numerous times in these reflections recently, what the Jews are most afraid of is indeed what comes to pass not long after the death of Jesus. In the year 70 AD, the Romans come and basically destroy Jerusalem, and in particular the temple, 
the temple is leveled. Uh, a historian from that time, Flavius Josephus, says, not a stone was left upon a stone. The temple was annihilated and the Jews were scattered. That was the beginning of the, well, of the great diaspora, if you will, scattering of the Jews. So what they are most afraid of will indeed come to pass. But hear now the words of Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the high priest that year, the first utilitarian who we have on record. He says to his compatriots, You fools, you do not know, neither do you consider, that it is expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people, lest all should die. He's weighing the life of Jesus in a balance against the lives of all of his countrymen. And he finds, not surprisingly, in a kind of utilitarian calculus, that the lives of the many outweigh the life of the one. And so he counsels the rest that they should come up with a plan by which they can put Jesus to death secretly, not so that the people will realize they were behind it, because then the people who are coming to believe in him might rise up against the priests. But just in a secret way, in a quiet way, to do away with this troublemaker and let things go back to the way they were. Utilitarianism is a very insidious and false philosophy, which is extremely prevalent in our day, often not by that name. It's just sort of in the air we breathe. But utilitarianism basically is the principle that says, well, it operates by this principle to seek the maximum amount of pleasure for the maximum amount of people. That's basically utilitarianism in a nutshell. But although that may seem good on paper and have kind of a noble sounding ring to it, utilitarianism is always at bottom a selfish pursuit. Why? Because pleasure or happiness is not a common good. It's not a common good. By its very nature, it's a subjective good. And so to seek the greatest or maximum pleasure for the maximum number of people possible is sort of a meaningless formula. If the possibility of my pleasure comes in conflict with the possibility of your pleasure, guess what's going to win out every time? And so what Caiaphas is proposing here is ultimately a selfish proposition. He seeks the continuity of what he has always known, of what seems good to him, without taking into consideration, well, on the one hand, the infinite value of even a single human life. And to put it more broadly and more profoundly, the infinite good of the will of God the infinite good of the will of God. Now contrast the selfishness of Caiaphas with the generosity of Jesus, generosity of his most sacred heart, which we recall today on this first Friday. The first Friday of every month is devoted to the sacred heart of Jesus. And all the more so today, this first Friday in Passion Tide, as we draw nearer to the day when that most sacred heart was pierced with the tip of a spear and blood and water poured forth for the salvation of the world. The shriveled, selfish heart of Caiaphas is concerned only with his own apparent good. 
He's wrapped up in his own plans, his own pursuits. He's engaged in the act of engineering his own happiness, of planning his own future, of seeking to hold on to the power that he has, to the position, to the place, to the status, to what is familiar. And so he judges it to be most expedient that Jesus be put to death for all of these good and noble reasons. But Jesus, who has just taught us, I and the Father are one. I will what my Father wills. To do the will of my Father is my food and drink. What did Jesus teach us in his parable about the sheep and the one that goes astray? In that parable, we see divine logic, not utilitarian calculus. We see the logic of God, the logic of love. The good shepherd leaves behind the 99 to seek the one. Caiaphas would never do this. This self-proclaimed shepherd of Israel, he would never leave behind the 99 to seek the one that was lost. But Jesus came to do exactly that. He came to seek and to save the lost, to save sinners, to save the miserable. And how? By pouring out his own blood, by giving up his own body, by giving up his own life, by pouring out his own breath, by giving up his own spirit, and pouring out that same spirit, that same blood upon us, that spirit of perfect love for the Father, by which he was utterly united to the Father's will. He poured forth that spirit of love upon the world from the cross when his sacred heart was pierced with the lance. And by his outpouring of love, of blood, we are able to be united to that same spirit of love. We are able to be united through Jesus and in Jesus, through the spirit he gave us, to his own love for the Father, to his own obedience to the Father. So our hearts, which by nature are shriveled and selfish and sinful like the heart of Caiaphas, but the blood of Jesus can be renewed, can be renewed after the image and the pattern of his own heart. And in that renewal, in that renovation, that recreation, behold, says the Lord, I make all things new. Ego omnia facio nova. I make all things new. He came to accomplish that recreation. That's the reason He came. So if we submit ourselves to receive of that divine life, of that divine love, that spirit of obedience which He pours forth on us, if we open our hearts to receive it, we will experience the blessed liberation that comes of generosity, that comes of self-gift. St. John Paul II said, Man finds himself only in a sincere gift of himself. And in saying so, St. John Paul II was only being a good and faithful disciple of the Master who gave us the supreme example on the cross when he made a sincere and perfect self-gift of all that he had and all that he was to the entire world, to you and to me. So, as is so often the case in these short gospel readings in the extraordinary form, we see two ways set before us, the way of selfishness and the way of generosity. 
you might say, the way of nature and the way of grace. The way of our sinful inclinations and the way open to us by divine liberation. Which do we choose? At every moment we are offered a choice. Will we open our hearts to receive the divine love? Will we cooperate? Will we obey the Father? Or will we seek what seems good to us? Will we seek our own pleasure, our own fulfillment, our own satisfaction at the expense of others and at the expense of God? For what seemed expedient to Caiaphas to accomplish his own desires, this is the divine irony. What he said was expedient, to murder Jesus. In fact, he was right. St. John says he spoke prophetically, not because it was expedient for him to acquire what he wanted, but ultimately it was most expedient for all of us that God should lay down his life to make us new. Let us receive today this great gift which our Savior offers us of recreation, renovation, divine renovation in His love and in the blood and water that poured forth from His most sacred heart over the whole world. For Christ is good and He loves mankind always, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen.